You're listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. This series explores how Jesus' vision for our lives creates a people and a place we want to be a part of. And now, here's today's message. The mammoth paradoxes in Jesus Christ, they never fail to astound me. I mean, I get mental whiplash when I kind of go between the paradoxes that are Jesus Christ. I mean, God and man, right? Creator becoming creation. Eternal God with a beating heart that stops. It's astounding. But my amazement of Jesus is bigger than just the complexities that are are inherent in the God-man union. Um, It's the kind of God-man that he is that also amazes me. Like as Tina read in our call to worship, he's the one that is so exalted that in time every knee will buckle in awe before him as king. And his name will tumble out of every mouth as every tongue confesses him as Lord. He is that exalted. And maybe if his foray into earth as the God-man took a more Thor-like posture, it would be easier for me to reconcile. But he doesn't. Instead, we get whiplash from this exalted God into his arrival in humanity's story, which contains no illustrious magnificence about it. Like Jesus doesn't make his grand appearance in the cultural centers of Rome or Jerusalem, but in nowhere Bethlehem is where he touches down. In a stable. He wasn't greeted with red carpets or paparazzi camera flashes. There was no throngs of people lined up to get his autograph. Instead, he's greeted by shepherds who've been sleeping rough in their clothing for days. And barn animals that smell like shepherds. That's his arrival entourage. And he lived just like he arrived, clothed in the ordinary. He never wrote a bestseller, never had his name on the marquee. He didn't command legions of of conquering soldiers. He did not hobnob with the rich and the powerful. Nothing in his life fit into the mold of greatness as we would think of it. And yet he is without a doubt the greatest man who has ever lived, which should, should generate some questions in us about what is it that actually makes a life great? Like, what does greatness really look like on the ground? Because each one of us longs for greatness. Uh, When I was just a little duffer, um, I wanted to play for the Edmonton Oilers when I grew up because that's where the great one played, right? The great one who broke all the records, who dominated the opposition, who hoisted the Stanley Cup, who was the best there was, hence the name The Great One. And I wanted to be the next great one. And I thought I was well on my way in my first year of minor hockey when I scored my very first goal on a breakaway. I did a couple of, you know, sick handles, and I kind of head fake left, and I went right, and I deked out the goalie, and I scored, and I know I'm dating myself, but I 
I rode my stick Tiger Williams style around the, around the rink in celebration, and nobody from my team was celebrating with me. Uh, turns out I got myself kind of turned around when I got the stick, when I got the puck, and I found myself all alone, and I went the wrong way. And the cheering that I heard from the benches and from the parents who were saying, go, Sean, go, were actually saying, no, Sean, no. Because <laughs> I deked out my goalie and scored on my own team. Now, even when all the hockey evidence was to the contrary that I was going to be a great one, that's still what I longed for. And you chuckle and laugh, but you were probably the same as kids. I know you ladies had your hairbrush and you sang into your hairbrush in the mirror pretending that you were going to be a pop star. My girls did that all the time. But curious fact, never once did my girls pretend they were in the audience. Never once did my girls make believe that they were the stagehand off to the side whose job was to bring water and green M&Ms to the pop star. See, we don't aspire to ordinary servitude when we are kids. Our natural desire for greatness instinctively takes on a particular shape, doesn't it? And the shape is, we're the ones that others are looking to, admiring, cheering, serving. Now, as we get older... Our picture of greatness evolves and it matures, but it never really departs that far from what it was when we were kids. Because for most of us, greatness is linked to our status before others. Greatness is tied to how high up the pecking order we reside. That's greatness to us. Certainly, That's how Jesus' friends, James and John, were thinking about it as well. And so they come to Jesus with a request, and to their credit, they don't want to be top dog. They're okay with Jesus being at the top as long as they are next. As long as they are just one tier down the organizational chart, but still right at the top of the power hierarchy. Above them, only Jesus Serving below them, everybody else. Let one of us sit on your right, the other on your left, in your glory. Give us, Jesus, the premium seats of power and prominence because that is the place of greatness. Now, their aspirations are probably not all that unlike yours. Because you're probably okay with Jesus being at the top. I mean, he is God after all, so sure, give him that place. But everything that you think about and aspire to is you just a little bit below it. You see, we aspire, each one of us, for a life that's marked by meaning and purpose. But we tend to think to get that, we must be as close to the top as we possibly can get where other people admire us, they look to us, they answer to us, they follow us. You see, most of us tend to live life like it's a movie and we're the star character. And everybody else is playing a supporting role in our movie. 
And so the more the camera is on us, and the more the movie screen extras are serving us, helping us be a star in the scene, the, the bigger a blockbuster our movie, our life will be. Now, we would never say it in such a crass way, but our actions and our attitudes betray that this isn't far off from how we actually view life. Like, what reflexively happens in you when, when you get upstaged or you get ignored? What happens in you when you're not recognized or validated, validated to the degree you think you deserve? What happens in you when, when somebody comes on into your workplace who's better than you are at your thing? Well, what happens is we all get insecurity and angst. That gets released in us because those things expose to us that maybe we're a little further down the hierarchy than we like to think we are. And our vision of greatness, since we were little, has taken a very particular shape one that needs us to elevate the self. The higher up we get, the better and greater we are. James and John have that same vision, and so do the rest of the disciples, actually. Because they're indignant at James and John, not because they have the audacity to ask such a brazen request of Jesus. They're indignant because they didn't do it first. Because they got outmaneuvered to the top spot every single one of them wants to be scotty pippen to jesus as michael jordan that's what they all want and so jesus recognizes that this is a prime opportunity to to reshape his disciples understanding of greatness and to call us into an alternate storyline of greatness that actually is going to take everything that you know about the topic and flip it upside down and so Jesus says, guys, okay, come on in. Come on in, huddle up. We got to talk. And he says this, you know, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. You know. This is what you know. This is the world that you've experienced. You know how the world works. You know how the world operates. You know the world's way of leveraging power and authority and influence. And it's always for the advancement of self. That's how the world works. Your instincts tell you that the more people serving person A, the greater person A must be. That's what all your instincts tell you. Uh, a number of years ago, I was in Vancouver, and I saw a fleet of black, matching, tinted-out SUVs go down the street with police escort, and they stopped a few blocks down, and all these doors opened, and these people came out, and there was this hubbub of activity, and there were handlers there, and I think there was press taking pictures, and, you know, big, strong dudes with mirrored sunglasses speaking into their collars, and, and I didn't know who it was, but I knew it wasn't Larry from Chilliwack, like out getting wiper blades. I knew that's not who was riding in the SUV because all the commotion and all the people serving told me that this was somebody important. Turns out it was former President Bill Clinton. Yeah. That's who it was. But the point is, 
The point is, is that when you see this hive of activity around one person, we conclude that that one person is great because that's the world we know. That's the vision of greatness we understand. That the more you're served, the greater you are. But Jesus is going to turn that all upside down. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And so Jesus, in contrast to what we know instinctively, he says, this must not be your way of navigating life. The world you know, the reflexes you have, cannot be the way that you navigate through life if you're going to be my disciple. The fixation on self and status, which is always the source of injustice and oppression, is incongruent with Jesus' kingdom. That way works to expand colonialism. You know, dog-eat-dog ensures that the powerful dogs are fat and well-fed, but it's an anathema to Jesus' way of life. Our sin-corrupted instincts for greatness actually pull against everything that Jesus and his kingdom values. And so you cannot be straining toward that version of greatness and following Jesus into his because they are completely different. In Jesus' kingdom, greatness doesn't climb over people to get to the top. Greatness stoops down to serve. In Jesus' kingdom, greatness resists the impulse to get to the front of the line and it stands back and it lets others go before us. Jesus-shaped greatness doesn't ladder itself up. It serves its way down. And this is a very difficult idea for the disciples to get. This isn't the first time Jesus has schooled them on this. And they still don't get it. But they misunderstand greatness in Jesus' kingdom because they misunderstand the king. Um, Interesting, a few chapters earlier in Mark's gospel, in chapter 8, we have Peter at one of the kind of um, pinnacle moments of his life. He's at one of his all-time highest, best moments. This occurs when Jesus is kind of asking his disciples, hey guys, what's the word on the street? Like, what... What, what are people saying about me? What are the hashtags that are going along when they talk about me? And, and so they say, well, some think you're Jeremiah and some think you're John the Baptist. And the whole point is that clearly there's, there's confusion and misunderstanding about who Jesus is and what to make of him. And so Jesus turns to Peter and says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus says, right on, Peter. You are seeing clearer than anybody else. In fact, you're seeing me with my father's eyes. This has been revealed to you from my father. And then Jesus says that he must suffer and die. And Peter says, no, no way, 
Not going to happen. Glory doesn't suffer. Greatness doesn't serve. It's not the way things work, Jesus. That's not how this plays out. And notice what Jesus doesn't say to Peter if you know the story. He doesn't say, get behind me, you well-intentioned but slightly off Christian. He doesn't say, get behind me, you with amazing theology but a slightly off philosophy of leadership. He says, get behind me, Satan. And this tells me that any vision of greatness that doesn't have the cross at its center and doesn't have loving sacrifice as normative action that instead sees greatness in self-serving or self-elevating terms is satanic. It's from a whole nother kingdom. And so Jesus says, you guys know that kingdom. You know how greatness plays out with the Gentiles. You know the dominating dog-eat-dog, climb-over, self-exalting way the world works, but this must not be so with you. Because it isn't so with me. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now there's so much going on in this one verse, but let, let me highlight one phrase that I think will help us understand the staggering aha moment this was for Jesus' disciples. And it's this phrase, son of man. It's one of Jesus' favorite terms for himself in Mark's gospel. And it's another one of those whiplash terms. Because on one hand, the term son of man, which is a Jewish idiom, you know, son of in, in, in Jewish um, culture, you take son of and whatever you add after it, basically what you're doing, you're, you're personifying the attributes of whatever is after it onto the person. It's a Jewish phrase, a Jewish way of speaking. So you'd say, you know, James and John were sons of thunder, suggests that these weren't, you know, shrinking violet, wallflower type of guys. These are guys that were stormy and boomy, and that's what they were because they were sons of thunder. So when Jesus says that he's a son of man, he is on one point saying he's one of us. He's highlighting his humanity. But he's also referencing his uniqueness, his special place in redemptive history because this phrase comes from Daniel chapter 7 where Daniel has this vision of God, the ancient of days, taking his seat on the throne of heaven. And we read this in Daniel 7, 14. Let me read it for you. I want you to hear it. I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom so that every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so Jesus is telling them, this is who I am. I'm the one who's been given all dominion and power and authority. I'm the one who was crowned king. You cannot get loftier language than Daniel chapter 7. And so if Jesus, if this is Jesus, then anybody who has the right to be served would be him, would it not? 
But he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Now this word even that Jesus puts, it's meant to, it's meant to bring clarity to all of our understanding by, by contrasting us to the greatest. Like, you, like think of it like this. Imagine I'm speaking to a, a little minor hockey player who's, who's in peewee, who's got eight great aspirations for his hockey career, and I say to him, even Connor McDavid practices stick handling. Or a piano teacher says to their student, even Mozart played scales. What, what are they saying? How much more so do us non-virtuosos need to do likewise? You see, Peter, Peter balked at any suggestions of Jesus' life ending on a cross because he did not understand how utterly different his kingdom is and how different this king is because the cross and Jesus serving us on the cross were not a deviation from his greatness, but the ultimate expression of it. Do you know that? The cross is not Jesus doing a sidebar and hitting pause on his glory and his greatness. In fact, John shapes his whole gospel, John 12, talks about Jesus, the one being lifted up for the world to see. How is he lifted up on the cross? Jesus, in I think John 17, says, now is the time for me to enter my glory. What is his glory? It begins with the cross. This is not an aberration of his greatness. It is an expression of his greatness. Because our king serves because that's how great he is. This is who he is in nature. And if that is true, then follow with me. Then likewise, our deepest spiritual identity is also revealed in service in his name. If even the son of man served, then the rest of us, Jesus' people, are servants. This is what we are called to do because that is who we are. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you became a new creation, some parts of your identity were suddenly rewired. Like you became a child of the Father. That's who you are. That's part of your identity. And you experience who you are in your, in your connection to him as Father and to us as brothers and sisters as family. That's true. But you are also servants of the Son. In his name. See, Jesus served and ransomed us and in so doing liberated a new humanity with a new identity, a people eager to do what is good. And so Paul will say this in Titus 2. He says, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's who we are now. Therefore, your experience of greatness, your existential feeling that your life matters, that what you do is worthwhile, will be directly proportional to how much you emulate Jesus and serve in his name or not. Interesting. Uh, in the New Testament, depending on what translation you use, 
the word leader is at most, that word is used six times in the New Testament. The word servant, over 200 times. Because the essence of greatness, the essence of authority, the essence of leadership in Jesus' Jesus's economy is a self-giving service. And so a servant is now part of your identity, which means faith in Jesus has ruined you from being satisfied with any type of other kingdom version of greatness. You can keep chasing after that and climbing up that hierarchy and it will never satisfy this hunger in you because that's not who you are anymore. It must not be so with you, Jesus says. Let me tell you why that's good news. First is, if our experience of greatness was dependent on you know, getting to the very top of the pile, being at the peak of the pyramid, then the truth is we know just by, you know, geometry that very few get there. You see, if Jesus' kingdom ran like any other kingdom, it would only be the quickest or the smartest or the most gifted that get to be a pop star in Jesus' kingdom while the rest of us just show up and spectate while the important stuff The Jesus stuff is done by the important few. Now, I say that, that that's not the way it's supposed to be, even though that is what passes for church all the time. Right? We hire leaders to do the ministry. They do the important stuff. We pay them to put on the Jesus show on Sunday, and your job is to show up and spectate and throw some money in the plate to fund the whole thing. But that's not who we are. That's not how this kingdom works. That's not how it goes forward. Greatness is inverted, which means it's not found in climbing up but in serving down, which means in Jesus' sandbox, everybody gets to play. It's probably the most unspiritual term you've ever heard but I'm going to coin that phrase in Jesus' sandbox everybody gets to play everybody gets to be great because everybody is called and equipped to serve not just a special few and so a leader's job is not to do the work of the ministry but to serve and equip us to do the work of the ministry together that's why we we put on a ministry fair, not because we're trying, because we need you like some human cog in the central machinery, but because in the deepest core of your identity, you are a servant of the king. Are you tracking with me? Is this making sense? Okay, sorry, I come from a church where I'm used to people like, uh-huh, and I'm not hearing any uh-huh, so I want to see, are you guys with me here? Okay, good. All right. No, I don't like, no, 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 you can stop, you can stop. No more applause. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, let me connect one more dot. Okay, if you're here with me, let me go one step deeper, which shows just how utterly upside down Jesus' kingdom is. Ours is the king who considers himself best served when we serve the lost and the least. Ours is the king 
who considers himself best served when we serve the lost and the least. The Daniel 7 vision is of all nations and language and peoples coming to serve the Son of Man. But how do they do that? Not like attendees at Buckingham Palace with King Charles. That's not what Jesus has in mind. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a famous parable about two groups of people. Um, that the Son of Man, he uses that same phrase, the Son of Man will evaluate and separate their sheep and their goats. And he divides them, these two groups of people, from those who are his people, those who know him, those who see him as king, and those who don't. And to the sheep, his people, he says this. Matthew 25, verse 35. For I was hungry. This is the essence of their sheepness. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Even if you haven't had enough coffee this morning, you should be able to be alert enough to pick up the repetition of me that Jesus is giving here. And so Jesus says, the righteous, they answer, and they say, well, Lord, when did we? Like, I would have remembered when you showed up that day. I would have remembered that day. I don't remember any of that happening. And what does Jesus say? Verse 40, and the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. How we serve our king is also upside down. Our king best considers himself served when his people bend low and serve the least and the lost like he did. Let me land the plane right here. A couple weeks back, I hung out with Ron Morgan, who is one of Central's and Jesus' representatives of Our Place just up the street. If you're new to Victoria or if you're watching online, uh, Our Place is um, a not-for-profit organization that is kind of at ground zero in the epidemic of homelessness and, and drug addiction here in our city. And so they are trying to serve and help out this very broken and marginalized part of our population. And so I went with Ron to Our Place and he gave me a tour. And the truth is I felt really uncomfortable it overwhelmed me, it stressed me out because the needs are so big and the issues are so complicated and multifaceted and the level of addiction are, are so gigantic and so powerful that serving feels like you're trying to take down Godzilla with a pea shooter. And so I asked Ron, how do you keep going and doing this here year after year when the issues are so big and success stories are so few, and without hesitation, you know what Ron said to me? He said, because this is what Jesus had called me to. And in those words, I knew that this is a man who has tapped into who he is and who Jesus has called him to be, who Jesus has recreated him to be. Jesus' people are servants of the king, who serve Jesus best by serving the lost and the least. That's who we are, and that's what we must do if we're going to live a life that's great. And because that is the reality of who we are, in Jesus' kingdom, everybody has a role to play. Everybody has been endowed with spiritual gifts and spiritual abilities because we all get to play 
in the kingdom sandbox. But that's next week. I'll explore that next time. Actually, in two weeks, we're going to have a Thanksgiving message. But in two weeks, I'm going to explore how does that play itself out where we actually get to live out our calling as servants in the kingdom. Let me pray. Scott, come on up. Worship team, come on up with Scott. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would continue the work to reschool us in our understanding, in our reflexes, in our life choices in regard to greatness. Help us live like you, broken bread and poured out wine, in service of our King, in service of each other, and in service of the lost and the least. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.